everybody. Welcome to episode five of Serious Shit with Pam and Heather. Serious shot, serious shot. Uh, for for this, those who keep want to keep it on the, uh, you know, smooth sailing here. <laughs> less exciting, the, the less <laughs> expressive mode. Um, this week, we are just going to have a little chat, Pam and I, because we had hoped that we would have a... Um, a lawyer on the line to interview, um, but that's going to happen in our next episode. Pam, do you want us to just say a couple words about about that? Right. We met this lawyer who retired military, and now he's a civilian lawyer, and he is really in the the big picture. Know what's going on here in Colorado and in the nation, and he affiliated with Frontline Doctors recently, and. Um, so sad to say that he's in court today so that you know we're gonna have to work around his schedule so I just love that we get to have a little coffee talk with our friends so what do you have for us today Heather well I just want to do a quick um thank you to uh Teresa and Carolyn Carolyn from Czech and Teresa Rangam from Carolyn Martin from Czech and Teresa Rangam from NVIC who were with us last time I thought that that was an incredibly informative talk with them. Um, I think it helped parents understand a little bit more about SB 163 and what that implementation means for this upcoming school year. There is a lot going on this upcoming school year. And that, you know, SB 163 almost seems like this sort of faint memory and like a little fairy tale compared to what's happening right now. But it is still something that any parent is going to have to deal with that's exempting their child from even one vaccine on the schedule. So that was a and good. I would, I would highly recommend following the NVIC Telegram channel to see what's going on in the other states, because what happens in other states will come to our state. And when we're looking at Tennessee, where parents were able to push back on some type of regulation that the public health wanted to solicit children for the vaccine, um, kind of an affront to parental consent. And then if you look at, um, I think it's Massachusetts right now, where there's a bill in their legislation to eliminate exemptions, which are only taken by like 1% of the population. It's clearly not about, um, you know, 1% of the population is not a threat to herd immunity. And, you know, and then you have, you know, the White House saying this week that herd immunity is no longer, uh, it's old fashioned, it's an old outdated concept. So there's a lot of great information to get a broader perspective on the NVIC Telegram channel. Right. I, yeah, absolutely. And vice versa too, right? What happens in this state moves to other states because often Colorado is one of the sort of test states for a lot of, of bills and, and other things. So yes, I agree. Go on the NVIC channel. If you're a homeschooler, check out CHEC and come back next time to listen to this great interview we'll have with a lawyer because I know a lot of people have legal questions around what's happening. Um, and we are in unprecedented times. So, um, all right, Pam. So yeah. we're going to have a little uh, creepy news talk since, you know, that's usually what we end with. We'll sort of start with that today. And, all right. um, and I've been working on a creepy news, like uh, color-coded dial, you know, like five colors. Oh. So we're, you know, green, yellow, red. So for this week, we'll just go with, we'll, we'll rate it on a three color scheme. Oh, just three? So just three. We don't get to bypass like from yellow to like bypass orange <laughs> right into red, like happened in my county last year where, where they just bypassed orange even though they didn't have to. We don't get to do that? Well, yeah, I wanna save purple for like zombie apocalypse. <laughs> oh, so purple's worse than red? Okay, all right. Yeah, it all was right. like, what happens in purple? <laughs> so. Okay, well, let's not go to purple. Let's just stay in the red, red down yeah. to green, all right? Okay. So can Pam, so for the creepiest news of the week, I mean, is it obvious what the creepiest news of the week is? I Maybe think it starts bit. with knock, 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 knock. <laughs> who's there. I mean, I mean, that might surpass the creepiest news. I don't know. I mean, it's creepy in a whole nother way, but so yes, that, that is what I am going to say is our creepy news of the week is the knock, knock, you know, we're here to help. We're here with drugs. <laughs> 
mean, I like to think of these topics from the perspective of someone who's really not concerned about these things and is going along to get along. When the when that go along to get along here is, oh, they're gonna send people to our house to check on our status and offer us an experimental drug. I just wanna wonder, like, I wanna get in their head and like, does that raise a red flag for those people? What raises the red flag for people? You mean, what's it gonna take? Right, what's it gonna take? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you think that'll raise a red flag? I mean, I saw this elderly guy in my neighborhood put up a sign right away after they announced it, no trespassing. I'm like, old man gets it. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't, don't go to his door. <laughs> so I have hope in humanity because a lot of our elderly people are just very trusting and, and they will, you know, I think they're vulnerable. They, they trust and they, if you say you're from the health department, um they'll they'll do it they'll go along with it well and also have we've seen reports that um they're trained to ignore no soliciting signs because technically they're not soliciting they're just you know they're there to help and you know as you and i both know whenever somebody is there to help especially if they're there to help the children you know that's a big a big red flag um and well, so and it Anecdotally, I just want to throw out here. So, cause I live in a rural area with a lot of old, older people who I love. My mom is an older person as well. And my mom did not have health insurance pretty much most of her life. And she lives in a rural area. My mom is like the healthiest person I know. I mean, at 70, she's, she has a lifestyle of like a 50 year old. So, and I think at that, when people ask me about, you know, what she does and her lifestyle, a big part of her lifestyle was not having access to healthcare, not going to a clinic for every sniffle, not going to the hospital right away for every infection and working with some home remedies and not being exposed to a lot of the medications that most people routinely take. And so I just wanna throw that out there is maybe we're over-medicated. So maybe it's good to be a little cautious. Amen. Thank you, Pam. I agree. So, um, all right, that's the creepy news. We've all heard it. We've all watched all the things about what to do if you get a knock at your door. And I mean, those are just personal decisions, I think, that people are going to have to make, like how they're going to handle that. Um, you know, like handling the um, phone calls that people might get, might get. And sometimes we don't handle it the way we think we're going to handle it, right? Like, I on my second phone call from the health department, I handled it a little differently <laughs> than, I had, than I had imagined that I would um, because I was sort of shocked to be receiving a, a second phone call. Um, so- well, And that's the thing, right? Like, so I, when I'm on social media, I, there's this bravado, there's this these responses to this, this, you know, you're, your gut punch reaction to this is, well, I'm going to, you know, get my dog or I'm going to bury the body or, you know, like, or I'm going to uh, prosecute and I'm going to educate them. And, and, and I would back away from those types of emotional responses. It, the first visit, the first round of home visits will be about data, about right. did the person get the vaccine or not? Is the person hostile or not? Um, is the person open? Is the person confused. Um, it's, it's all about data. So that second round, they will pick who comes to your door and how they approach you based on the data they collected from the first visit. So I would advise people to don't open the door if you're not interested in, by the way, they don't really want to offer you a drug. They just want to let you know that there is a vaccine available for all you cave dwellers who don't Wait, know. there is? <laughs> Wait, wait, can you back up a minute? There's a there's a vaccine available for what? Apparently, there's some vaccine available for something, and they just want I you have to some know. Questions about that? Do you? No, don't. No, you don't have any questions. You just don't answer the door. Don't engage. That would be my recommendation if you don't really understand how this operation works. That. The data collected from the first visit will tailor custom, you know, custom tailor the next visit with maybe a little more aggressive approach. And, and that's fine for most people, 
but you know, what if your kid answers the door or what if grandma answers the door? Like you don't want to put a family member in an aggressive or hostile situation. So I would say, say something neutral. I'm, I plan to tell any door knocker, um, I, I assume you're a fraud and a scam because medical uh, personnel do not come to my door and knock on my door and offer me a drug, you know, without knowing my health history and, and, and my contraindications. And it, so, I mean, I basically I'll say, I, I assume you're a scam. I, I'm fine. I receive my medical care with a trusted person. Goodbye. Don't come back. So I'm not going to tell, reveal any information about my health or my choices. Um, I don't want to give them anything to put in their database. Right. And I think you brought up a good point about your kids or your, you know, grandma answering the door. Um, I think, you know, like we train our little kids, don't answer the door. If, you know, if you're home alone or if they're, you know, mom's in the shower, don't answer the door. I think we need to retrain our kids, remind them of that. Even if they're, you know, getting close to being out of the house, they need to understand this too, because, um, you know, teenagers might be even a little bit more, you know, interested in sort of having some bravado. So we might want to remind our children that it's just good not to answer the door if you don't know who's there because nothing really ever good good comes of a, a door knock you don't want. So no, nothing good is going to come from this. And if, if I mean, and what's to stop the person knocking on your door from filing some type of claim of, of harm or harassment or threat or and then what, then the second visit, a police officer comes to your door with the person offering you the experimental drug. I mean, don't, don't be baited into this right. conversation. Very good. Good advice, Pam. So, all right, that's creepy enough. We're moving on to um, SMS. It is a red level creepy though. That is red it level. It is red level creepy. It is <laughs> like in, in less of a sci-fi way, like some of the things we talk about that are creepy news are like, oh, wow, we've, we've entered into the sci-fi dystopian novel, right? Creepy news. And then there's just like the sort of less sci-fi and more really a threat of creepy, creepy, creepy threat, which is where we are. Right. Yeah. Right. Like yellow, yellow would be like, we're offering donuts to, for yeah. a health measure. That's, right. that's yellow. That's funny. That's comical. Yeah. But door to door is definitely red. It's definitely red, high alert. Um, okay, so the second sort of creepy news thing that goes along with that is the SMS fact checking. Um, oh, our text news. messages. Text messages. So we think that those are private. Like we're having a conversation with our pal on the on the SMS text, the you know iPhone, you know, iMessage, whatever Android thing, and um, how. Like, how does this happen, Pam? How do they, how do they check our SMS messages? Well, and how, how do you think that would work? I am going to, I'm going to reveal something that, okay. I, I mean, if you are on this issue, if you're an advocate on this issue, like we are, this is not a new thing. They have been monitoring on a small scale uh, selected individuals for a long time, you know, since 9-11. So um, I remember, you know, when I first started engaging at our state capitol back in like 2014, um, the weirdest things would happen with my email, my phone. And I mean, I would, um, my husband would call me with my pre-programmed phone number in his phone and be connected to somebody else. Like <laughs> things like that would happen. I would, try to call my husband and I would hear people in the background of our phone call. Like I could, and then they, I'd say, do you hear that? And all of a sudden it would go mute, you know? So I took my phone into AT&T at the time and I explained what was happening. And I mean, I thought, man, I'm in, I'm in crazy town right now explaining what, what is going on right here. And, and I said, can I just get a new SIM card? And um, the guy looked me straight in the face and said, what you described, what is happening you cannot fix by switching out your SIM card. All of your, any phone or SIM card that you put in your phone will be connected to your social security number. And who, whoever's doing this, monitoring you, will always have access to monitoring you. And I was like, oh, okay, good to know. You know, like, and, I, and I'm, I'm a nobody. Like, I, I, I'm not a threat to any institution. So, you know, I think this, it's not a shock to me for them to outright say they're, 
going to check <laughs> text messages because anyone on this issue has, has on some level has been aware that this has been happening for a long time. Right. So, yeah. And uh, you are my friend who has had more email issues than any other friend I know. So uh, I'll go along with that. Um, so what do you see them doing though? Like if there's some misinformation going on between, you know, some friends talking, is there going to be a pop-up or is there going to be a list that's created? Like, is this another data grab or what is this? Do you think? Oh gosh, let's go the full gamut. I mean, we've got the Surgeon General saying that he will put a little message on these, these emails in social media posts, like cigarettes, like misinformation kills. Like, so I'm, I'm waiting for my friends to tell me when they get those notifications. <laughs> uh, uh, we also have, um, you know, with our email system with Colorado Health Choice Alliance, we just one day we had thousands of people in a MailChimp database. And then one day we didn't like the MailChimp said, sorry, we're, you know, we're, we're on the CDC foundation and we won't support you anymore. You can't use your access, your database. So, I mean, go anywhere from a label to you disabled, you know, you won't be able to access. And then if you want to take it to like future level, we're talking like full social credit system. That's where this is going. I mean, where if my social credit score is negative right now. <laughs> All right. You're moving us into purple. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Let's keep it red. Keep it red. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Well, all right. So there's the like, you know, real life creepy news. Um, and now I, I think I'm going to move us into um, a real quick, I, I, I mean, nothing is really quick when we, we say it's going to be quick and then it's not quick, but um, a Twitter creepy news uh, thing that came up this week. I think it made the rounds. You sent it over my way. And it was yes, a <laughs> ingestible microchip tweet. Did you see, you remember that one? Oh yeah. How can you yeah. forget? So um, the ingestible microchip uh, was a woman who used to be with DARPA mm -hmm. and she was um, shown in a video. Um, and I, you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm looking right now. I just pulled it up on my screen, the link I had on there. And it's gone because, because, <laughs> because so I so can't really look at it. So I'm going to have to tell you from memory because it says this tweet is from a suspended account. <laughs> so whoever posted that video, they have now they took the team. <laughs> So I can't go back and look at the video, but I have I, a different. I do remember some details. I have some details too, because I looked her up and I ended up finding a Whitney Webb article. Um, oh, I like her. And she's really a, an amazing uh, investigative journalist. And so yeah. she um, did a, a, a big article on this um, woman. Uh, this woman was in, in, in this article. Um, and it's really, the article is all about the Welcome Trust, which this woman has now, um, joined. So I'll read this sort of headline of hers. It says the world's richest medical research foundation, the Wellcome Trust has teamed up with a pair of former DARPA directors who built Silicon Valley's skunk works to usher in an age of nightmarish surveillance, including for babies as young as three months old. Their agenda can only advance if we allow it. And so what this, what this clip was from this suspended Twitter account was it was this little video of this, this former DARPA woman um, who is now with the uh, Welcome Trust. She was, and I'll get her name in a minute, but she was um, showing these two guys this really cool new technology, which is this little um, capsule that you can swallow. And it's a microchip that then enables you to hook up through your body, your fingers or whatever, to your various devices. And these guys were, you know, like, oh, that's scary. We don't want to take it. You know, is this, is this approved by the FDA? And she said, yeah, they're approved for taking, you can take up to 20 of them per day. Um, and she thought this was really great. And, um, you know, I have trouble even taking an Advil. Like I really, like if I have a, the worst headache in the world, I really struggle with like, should I take one Advil? I don't know. 
but um, you could take you could take 20 of these microchips, Pam. Well, and what, first of all, what's first level disturbing is her zeal for this. Like she's so in this euphoric pitch mode that it's, that's creepy. And then she goes on to say that this, when you have this technology in your bloodstream, you will authenticate your devices just by approaching them. And she oh, described right. unlocking your car, accessing a building, which is very creepy. Um, but also the fact that this type of technology could be mandated, you know, that uh, without any really conversation about the downstream effects of what this does to your body and your, your mind. By the way, DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, if you're not familiar with them, I mean, we could spend a whole day on DARPA. <sighs> DARPA okay. is the type of, they partner with MIT, they get billion dollar contracts for from our government to fund research projects that are beyond creepy. Um, they're transhumanistic. Um, for example, I think the creepiest one is the super soldier where it's, yeah. you know, machine person um, interface um, where they have superpowers. Um, basically, artificial intelligence is probably a better term. But, and again, it's, it's one level is creepy. Another level of tyranny is if this type of technology becomes required for your job or to access society that it's real that's really um, where it's going yes and that is what's really creepy and um and i her i now know her name it's it's regina um duggan or dugan d-u-g-a-n um so she was the one showing this new technology on this video and whitney webb's article which we'll link in in this um podcast information um, is a really interesting article to read about the Wellcome Trust. The Wellcome Trust is sort of in this big circle of Wellcome Trust and um, World Economic Forum. So warm and, and fuzzy. Welcome Trust. Yes. So warm and fuzzy. It is warm and fuzzy. Warm so it's fuzzy. another one of those sort of big organizations that has great plans for humanity. Um, Great whether humanity wants it or not. Exactly. Whether you fight it to the end or not, they, they, it's very profitable, I'm sure as well. Right. So, you know, I think it's good. It's super creepy. It's good to be aware of so that you aren't blindsided by some of this uh, stuff when it starts rolling out um, so that you can think a little bit before you think it's super cool. Um, I don't know, you know. Well, in the start having those conversations with your children, you know, even mine are older, you know, in college, but they, our kids adopt every new technology that comes out without even a thought. They're like, right. you know, the, all the Wi-Fi stuff. And um, I think, you know, if my, if I had never said anything to my own son, he would have wireless headphones on like every day for, for his entire life, which is, which is not good. Um, so we have to be those, you know, people, those parents who, Say to our children, the world is not going to tell you that there are side effects to these things. Right, right. It's They're going to want to make money or, or, you know, whatever, surveil you for an, an easier sort of a, you know, controlling of the population so you don't have to have as many police. Because if we don't have any police, you have to, we have to be able to control people and have them not do bad things. And so if you swallow this chip and you're, you know, followed everywhere, then you're less likely to, you know, commit a crime, I would imagine. So um, I just want to read right. this. And I have, oh, go for it. I was just going to say, I have not, I've yet to meet the middle schooler who is conversational on the surveillance state. Like I would, I would probably like just stop whatever I was doing and, and hug a, a parent of a middle schooler who is conversational on the surveillance state. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they just don't know what is, what is planned for them. And um, so, you know, we need to start those conversations. Yes, exactly. Um, I just want to read a, a little quick uh, paragraph out of the article that Whitney Webb wrote, and then um, we'll move on. But um, at Google, Duggan, over, Duggan oversaw several projects, including what is now the basis of Google's augmented reality business, then known as Project Tango, as well as smart clothing in which multi-touch sensors were woven into textiles. Another project that Duggan led involved the use of a digital tattoo to unlock smartphones. And it goes on 
Um, and we've all kind of ha heard a little bit about this digital, digital tattoo um, to track medical information, right? So maybe it starts with, oh, look, it's, just, it's no big deal. You can unlock your smart, smartphone with this digital tattoo. It's so easy, right? And then pretty soon that tattoo gets this, your medical information in it and all of your uh, financial, all, all, yeah, all the things, right? And then the smart clothing um, link is really interesting. Um, they've developed these textiles that um, are woven with uh, fat. It's fabric that is actually able to uh, interact with digital devices. So, I mean, nothing says surveillance state like tracking in my clothing. Right? <laughs> I just want some organic cotton. Give me an organic <laughs> cotton t-shirt. Thank you. Um, so anyway, let's, we'll move on to that. All right. So um, I'm going to add a, a new category to our talk today. And it's, um, it's book club. It, we, we should have a, a podcast book club. And um, because I'm already in a lot of book clubs and I can't keep up, I'm going to suggest a book that I've already read. And Ooh, like it. it sort of fits into my next topic that I want to talk about. And um, the book is called Technocracy Rising yes. by Patrick Wood. And yes. I read this, um, I read this book, I don't know, it must have been at least five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was very interesting. It opened my eyes to a lot of... Um, the inner workings of sort of, I don't know what to call it, like the shadow government or like what's happening that we don't see, you know, we think we've got this, we think our government works in a certain way, right? Like we've got our legislators at the state level and we've got the, you know, then we've got the national level and we've got the president and it seems like it should all work in there. But what this Technocracy Rising book explained to me is that then there's all these other sub subcategories like the Council of Foreign Relations and you know these different groups that have members in it that may have been in government at one point or um, uh, you know are, are outside of government a little bit they really influence very heavily what's happening in our government right but one of the most interesting parts of the book that he explained was he said you know What's going to happen is that these non-elected officials in agencies are going to be the ones that are going to dictate how our lives go. And at that time, um, you know, you and I were still at the Capitol fighting these bills and like that seemed possible and you could see how it was sort of happening. Um, but after this last year with with SB 163 and this whole COVID operation that's been going on this year, everything in that book, I now see exactly how that works. And, um, you know, SB 163 turned the legislative authority over the vaccines and with what goes on the schedule and how that works for the children in our state. That basically gave all the authority over to the, the CDPHE, right? Right. And right. so where we, we had the legislative uh, branch in control of that, where there was then some public input prior to 163, 163 now says, well, the Board of Health can add the vaccines that they want to, they can update the schedule, they can require what they want for exemptions, they can get rid of exemptions, they can do like, all of that power is now out of the hands of the people, you know, through the legislative branch. And it's into and this unelected board. In this board, I mean, does not, the Board of Health, State Board of Health does not respond to the, um, the people. You can't even get their a direct phone number or an email by design. And they are selected to be yes men. In women, I've literally been to the board of health meetings where, you know, a full day of items, you know, 14 page documents and not one word change to the document, to the policy. 
It's it's a rubber stamp, and it's like this in every state. Um, and people really don't understand why that is a problem, because pharma and the CDC are putting millions of dollars in the hands of CDPHE, the state health department, and so they are incentivizing all these programs for their agenda. And like saying, it's completely removed from the legislative oversight. You know, we got to go back and listen to Dr. Larry Wolk, the predecessor to the current director of CDPHE. And he told a whole panel of uh, state representatives and senators, I do what I want. And I got a row of lawyers funded right behind me, take me to court, like that, that type of arrogance. Right. And, and so it's not limited to CDPHE, it goes down into the county boards, right? Like there's county boards of health and they're making the rules in our counties and they're the ones that dictated the rules for, for this year's COVID procedures. Like they took us from, in my county, I alluded to this earlier in our conversation, in my county, I watched our board of health move us from yellow to red bypassing orange when they didn't have to bypass orange, but there was a person on the board that really pushed for let's just go to let's just go to red right now. And then after they went to red, then they had a discussion how, of how it's actually difficult to go backwards, more difficult to go backwards mm -hmm. than to go forwards. So this was like pushed into this the worst case scenario with all the businesses closed, hurting the economy of small businesses and people in my town and in my county. And this Board of Health did that, and they are not um, accountable to the citizens because they're not elected. And so I just want to say, everyone, please go read Technocracy Rising. Um, it's a really good book. And then they have also a website. I think like it's technocracynews.com maybe, right? We'll put that in there. Um, and they have a lot of really good articles kind of that talk about how this is happening, but um, so that's my book club suggestion. And, well, and I want to second that suggestion because um, I think Heather, you were the one who recommended it to me a few years ago, and you really cannot understand the medical freedom issue without understanding the data component of it in the in the and what you just described that these agencies have been captured by industry and they're operating with power and money completely removed from the public and from legislative oversight. And I did not fully understand that until we talked about this book. And, yeah. and it really does make me make different strategy decisions and different priorities knowing that that is this, I mean, for lack of a word, the shadow government, the health department is, has been given through this process way more power and money than it was ever intended to have. Yes, absolutely. All right, so um, speaking of health departments, um, our local health department had their meeting last night and we have a really amazing group of people up here who are interested in what the Board of Health is doing. So yes, um, yeah. there were a, a lot of people at their meeting last night and um, an interesting thing came, a subject came up at the meeting and um, what the president of our board, who's a physician said that he's really worried about RSV coming to um, becoming a, a problem this winter because they're seeing a, big uptick in RSV in New Zealand, which, um, you know, is interesting because New Zealand obviously is uh, in the, a different season than we are right now. They're in winter, right? While well, we're in summer and they are a highly vaccinated country. And um, so they're seeing this uptick in RSV, which, you know, I would have a lot of reasons why I think that might be happening. Um, of course, public health I don't know that they would agree with me because they just want to like, you know, do something about that instead of trying to figure out the root cause. And um, one of the astute members of the public that was there last night pointed out that interestingly, um, there's a new mRNA vaccine 
in development for RSV. Isn't that? Is that so? So. Um, well, I'm just doing a quick little search now that you uh, mentioned that. And oh my goodness, there's multiple articles about Moderna and press releases and Oh, it's not just RSV, RSV, which seems to be the one that's already in clinical trial, an RSV mRNA vaccine, but also CMV and two HIV mRNA vaccines and an influenza mRNA vaccine. Wow. Oh, Moderna went from, I, I'm in the red, I can't bring a product to market to an mRNA pipeline. I mean, oh, wow. <clears throat> Concludes with... Moderna stock is up 53% while the rest of the industry is down 5%. Wow. So we're, let's make a prediction here, Heather. I mean, what, what do you think? Where does this RSV uh, headline going? Oh, I think we're going to hear a lot about RSV this winter. What do you think? Well, I mean, we've got a product to sell, right? Right. And, you know, what's even second level threatening here is that if we're, we're sitting on a potential coronavirus vaccine mandate, right? Everybody needs to get this because we're all afraid and hysterical and we've abandoned herd immunity. The White House is calling it old fashioned. We want 100% people vaccinated. Uh, the CDC said today that um, we have a pandemic of unvaccinated. That's not even a thing. That, that's, not, that's not a thing. Um, being unvaccinated is not a contagion. <laughs> so, so what if all these mRNA vaccines in the Moderna pipeline also become mandatory? Whoa. Right, well, and so what I understand about this mRNA vaccine technology, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I understand is once the, one of these mRNA vaccines gets full approval, that the, technology of the mRNA vaccine, if we want to call it that, is then approved. And there, it doesn't have to go through another approval when you insert another disease. Is that I what did, I think I understand yes. that? Is that I right? Read a while back, I read something about the um, additional products involving mRNA would not go have to go be required to go through the full trial process. I've probably referenced that somewhere. I don't have it in front of me right now, but that was very alarming to me um, several months ago. And I thought it applied to just future variations of the coronavirus vaccine or drug, whatever you want to call it. Um, but like you're saying, it could apply to this whole Moderna pipeline. I mean, we're just getting that loose with our science here where we don't even complete a trial for a new product targeting a different disease. I mean, that is really- Right, so I would love to be able to figure out if that is, um, which that is, because what I interpreted when I read was that it wasn't just for coronaviruses, it was for other diseases that came along but maybe it is just for the coronavirus vaccines. I would, um, I would love if our listeners could dig into that. And if there's someone that has a good answer for that, if they could let us know. Um, Absolutely. Because it, if it is just a plug in your disease of choice, then um, the pipeline might get really big, really fast. But right. you said that this, uh, RSV one is in trials, so perhaps it does have to go through trials. I'd like to have some clarification on that. Well, I mean, in, in this whole FDA approval process has lost its credibility where we're unblinding people and then it's no longer a trial where we're looking at an approval. It was announced today in January. We're expecting, predicting, forecasting a coronavirus approval in January. I mean, before the clinical trials were designed to be completed in 2022 and 2023. So, I mean, the whole um, scientific process is corrupted. So I, I would predict we'll see some type of fast track quasi trial um, approval process. All right, well, there we go. There's, 
there's the end of our creepy news slash book club. And now we're going to move into some concerning news. Oh, um, whew, we got downgraded finally. That's rough. <laughs> I'm going to end with good news today. What? I good am. news? I'm going to end okay. with good news I'll so stay. we can end on I'll a high note. Around. I'll stick around for that. Okay, good. Um, so the concerning news, I think last time we talked about some concerning news that parents had, I don't even remember what it was about, but it's like some concerning news parents in Colorado have about what's going to happen with their kids, right? This year at school. And uh, I know that I know a lot of parents who are very concerned about some recent articles that have come out about testing in schools. Um, the first article I was um, aware of was from the Colorado Sun, and it was um, from July 6th. And its title is Colorado Plans to Dramatically Expand COVID-19 Testing in Schools Next Year even as restrictions go away. The state is looking for companies to operate a massive testing program backed by 173 million in federal funding. Now, this article talked about um, participating districts and under this plan, students, faculty and staff would be able to sign up for free weekly rapid tests. It talked about um, saying that you know they reward kids with uh, gift cards if they were tested and it portrayed this testing program as a voluntary effort by those who are interested in weekly testing. I'll tell you what, I don't want a Q-tip in my way back in my nose up into my brain every week is there you know so they it made it talk about antigen tests and you know maybe they'll have a spit test where you don't have to do that i'm not sure but um they gave a lot of talk about they're too young to be vaccinated they need to be tested but it did make it seem as though this would have to be a voluntary effort then the Denver Channel had a short article a few days later. That one came out on, uh, let's see where that came out, July 8th. Oh, so maybe it was a day later. What was that? Two days later. And this article's high headline was Colorado plans to regularly test K through 12 students for COVID-19 this fall. CDPHE is looking for vendors to administer the tests. This was a real brief article and it talked about the same testing plan and it did not have an indication of a voluntary versus a mandated component. And so what, so, do, you, what do you think the trigger will be there where it goes from voluntary to not voluntary? You think maybe a variant? Well, I don't know. And that's what I was really excited to ask our lawyer this week. So I'm going to save it for next week. But you know, Ooh, I like a little teaser way to right? bring people so, back to us. <laughs> what I, what I thought is this is the question I wrote for him. I said, what are the legal issues surrounding this type of a program? We saw universities requiring students who wanted to be on campus last year to have up to two tests per week to be able to engage in in-person learning. These are public universities with adult students. Are there different legal issues with minors in a public K through 12 institution? Because children are mandated to have an education, right? Um, you're not mandated to go to college, that's a choice. Um, so my other question was last year, we were in a declared emergency. Governor Polis has since lifted the emergency. Does this make a difference in the legality of this testing? Like if we're not in an emergency anymore, right? Then what, right. what is, why are we doing all of this? Why are we, talking, why are there articles about regularly testing children in a non-emergency situation in order to go to a mandated educational institution? Well, I mean, part of the answer um, will, by the way, the heavy breathing in the background, it's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> part of the answer to this is, is that people have been conditioned. You know, I have a long background in psychology. People have been conditioned. People are rule followers. People, the wording on these programs, like we're seeing with the colleges about, uh, you know, the vaccines 
not mandatory, but um, we'd like you to disclose your vaccine status. That, that wording, those words are carefully chosen to portray that it's required, but legally it's not. So we have to be really paying attention to how these programs of testing and vaccines and masks and quarantine and all of that, how the wording, because I, I when I'm reading all this stuff from universities, um, I've spent more of my time on the university level. It's, it's very clear to me that they know they cannot mandate it. So they're giving incentives for people to voluntarily disclose their vaccine status with drawings and prizes and things. So I think a lot of this phase one will be voluntary and rule followers will go along to get along. And then something, there will be some type of trigger, um, whether it's variants, whether it's a ADE epidemic, um, where it will move from uh, voluntary to a not voluntary, mandatory, and people will have to challenge it legally. Hey, Pam, when you say ADE epidemic, there's some people who aren't following what that is. Can you explain the ADE issue? Uh, antibody dependent enhancement is something that, you know, was a problem in mRNA vaccines in 17 years of animal trials, which is why we bypassed animal trials. We know that ADE is a huge risk. And in a nutshell, it's people who have been vaccinated with an mRNA product have been pathologically primed to um, develop enhanced respiratory disease when they come in contact to the wild strain virus, meaning um, uncontrolled clotting, uncontrolled inflammation, um, that the, the, the body will attack itself. And we're talking just your average cold flu season type viruses um, that we normally um, most people would be down for a couple of days and they'd get over it. Um, but in the animal trials, the, this was fatal. Um, so they had a positive antibody response to the mRNA vaccine. But then when they encountered, they were challenged with a wild strain form of the virus, many of the different types of animals died from monkeys to mice to cats. Um, and, and so I think most of the public is really unaware that that is a huge risk. And when I talk about this, I always get like one person who will post this opinion letter that's been published in a journal it is not a study. It is not experimental design. There's, and I can't think of the name on it right now, the author name, I should know it by now. I've seen it so many times of this one person says that's not a problem. And we really need to be better consumers of research that just because one person um, says in his opinion, he doesn't think ADE will be a problem with this mRNA vaccine rollout. I mean, we should not give weight to one person's opinion. We have 17 years of research in animal trials, hundreds of studies that are free to read on PubMed, um, just put in the search bar, either enhanced respiratory disease or um, antibody dependent enhancement. It goes by quite a few names, but those are the most common and hundreds of studies will pop up. And um, people, for our own sake, for our own people, we should say, you hear people say, oh, all the animals died. Well, that's not precise. I mean, these animals are euthanized during the study so they can dissect the damage done to their lungs. They're, they're all going to die in these studies because that's how we measure the damage done. So, but the real evidence is the, basically we destroyed their lungs with mRNA vaccines. And, and that would have been fatal had they continued on in the lifespan. Thank you for that explanation. As far as I know, there's not a school district in Colorado that has come out saying, well, that's not true. Uh, there is a school district in Colorado, but there's, but it's not saying we're gonna test every student. But I think parents are really concerned about that by these articles. And I think that we need some clarification from CDPHE or the school districts or somebody uh, about what, what, do, what do these articles mean? Um, there is another article from the Colorado Sun that goes along with this a little bit, and it was published two days ago. Its title is, Aurora will offer its 4,000 teachers 
two coronavirus tests a month come fall? Will other school districts follow? And then the subheadline is a tool developed with help from Harvard and MIT epidemiologists aims oh, to help Aurora. Oh, that MIT again. Right? MIT connected to DARPA. Right. Keep going. Uh, and MIT aims to help Aurora Public School staff better access coronavirus tests and track symptoms and cases. So before we move forward, I just want to have everybody remember where we were at the end of school last year, which was what, two months ago. They were three months ago. Every teacher got put ahead of everyone else in the line to get a vaccine so that they would be safe at school to teach our kids, right? The teachers right. all got their vaccines first. They were, our school district had all kinds of news out how they were gonna promote that their teachers and staff got the vaccine first and they did. And that was supposed to help our kids go back to in-person learning. The teachers were supposed to feel safe. That was supposed to, the vaccine was supposed to help them not be sick, right? And now all of a sudden the teachers have their vaccines. Every teacher that wants a vaccine has a vaccine and a very high percentage of the teachers and staff are vaccinated at schools, right? And, and our elderly teachers were given a lot of great options to retire early if they felt unsafe. Yes. And now all of a sudden, like if I'm reading this stuff, it seems like the vaccine never happened because now these vaccinated teachers know now go get to need to have a twice a month test to see if they're okay. And they're going to have tracking a tracking system based on that. And they're going to have Bluetooth ability to track any student who's been within, you know, six feet of them and the kids phones. Are they going to require the children to have Bluetooth devices on their phones turned on? That's not clear, but um, you know, this is touted as a cutting edge plan in the middle of the chaos, figuring out how to best educate kids while keeping everyone safe. Well, I thought that they kept the teachers safe by putting it, them at the front of the line. So this is really. Well, if, if I could go cynical here, I mean, this is a cash cow. When I'm reading this Aurora article in the Colorado Sun, 6,000 personnel in the district includes everybody, concludes the teachers, the janitor, daycare Bus personnel, driver. everybody. 6,000 people, $10 test, two tests a month, so times 24 tests a year. That, I mean, I'm doing quick math here. That's a $1,440,000 a year for one school district. Like, and when you, if that's not convincing enough that this is just a, you know, profitable program, right? You're like, you said, you're already vaccinated. So what, what, why are we doing this? Uh, it's for profit. And when you look at the colleges, they're reporting maybe that have implemented this because I just want to note that in red states where my son goes to college, they are not implementing this. They did not implement this. Um, it, this is a cash cow. And I mean, that that's all, I mean, that's it. I, I mean, that's why everyone just stuck. I was going to say something else, but I'm just like stuck on, this is a lot of money, a right. lot of money for not, for what benefit if 5%, that's what colleges are reporting, 5% are positive cases. So I mean, is it really giving us, a, you know what's more disturbing is that in this article, it says testing, we know that testing prevents infection. That is a flat out lie. <laughs> like for testing does not prevent infection. Like just think about the, the lie that people are believing. Oh, if I get tested, then then I'm not going to get sick. Like what? No, this is not a prophylactic. This is not improving the terrain of your, you know, your health. This is that, I mean, we've gone from like subtle lies to like blatant lies. Testing does not prevent infection. Like if in, in that we got to attack the basic like motivation for this program. Like you said, if we're vaccinated, why do we need this? We've got right. herd immunity. Why are we saying that testing prevents infection? I thought the vaccine was supposed to prevent 
infection. Right. So we're Program. moving moving prevention measures. And can I just jump in there where you were talking yes. about universities and their testing? How about the universities that require testing of their students and the universities themselves are the ones running the tests, making the money off of the students that are required to have a test every week? They're, yeah, they're getting kickbacks. Like the contract at the state level was like $200 million. And everyone's getting the cut of the pie. This program is called the COVID Check Colorado. And they are hoping that it becomes a model for the nation. I, I will, I've been to several red states this summer and it's like going to another country. Um, no one's wearing a mask. No one's distancing. There's no signs on the doors or weird markings of any kind for COVID. It's like COVID didn't even happen. And I'm talking about uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Oklahoma, um, you know, Texas and Florida. Uh, it, they're, they're going back to normal. They're doing just fine. I was never required to wear a mask outside of the airport. Um, businesses are doing just fine. Pe thousands of people are gathering at events. So we're going to really have to reconcile with our school boards and our county health boards. Like today I was at the pool with like a couple hundred people, a lot of kids, a whole daycare showed up. Like no mass, we were sharing the same pool water for hours. I'm sure all kinds of stuff is in that water. And I don't care, like my immune system's better for it. So how are we gonna reconcile that? We have, yay, freedom summer, we're all together in the swimming pool and on these big events and, you know, sporting events. And then in fall, we're gonna sit in our little isolation chambers at school with masks on. Like what happened? Right, right. And, and you know, that's another thing from this article. It said other health and safety steps include, and this is in Aurora, mandatory masks for all Aurora public schools, students and staff, protocols around how desks are posi positioned and how people move throughout school buildings. So basically they vaccinated all the teachers, all these, you know, students, the older students who wanted them. And that sounds to me like exactly what they did last year. So big deal, thanks for the vaccine and we're gonna still like make your school experience miserable. Well, and if people don't believe that is the plan to like ignore that we vaccinated everyone and we were all led to believe that would, you know, we'd go back to normal. It's happening in the military right now, just here in July, uh, you know, there's been orders published where everyone will wear a mask. I think yesterday, California or LA County or someone oh, announced yeah. everyone will wear a mask regardless of your vaccine status. So, I mean, th this is happening. Um, I mean, look at France, Greece, and um, there's another, uh, Ireland this week. They People are rioting in the streets about this vaccine passport. I mean, what, what was the point of getting the vaccine, you know, um, if we all are going to be held hostage to, you know, this coercion um, it, you're not hearing about it. And I, I mean, just for fun, because you know, most people who read mainstream news have no idea what's going on in these countries right now. So, I mean, just for fun, every now and then when you're out in public and 97% of people don't know what's going on in the world, just say, oh, what do you think about Greece? <laughs> <laughs> what about France? Right. Huh, Ireland? Like they have no idea what is going on and what is coming, you know? So look at our military, what's going on Let's there. Let's not They're say marketing. it's coming. What That's we true. will stand Good. against. I'm yes. not, it's not coming to my dimension. So I, I, I want to be in that dimension with you. And we're we going to do everything. language, Pam? Thank what you. What we will stand against. Well, we will, we'll say, we're not naive though. We, we right. know what the plan is. We're going to fight it. We see what is happening in other areas. And so we are, we're not going to just let it happen here. Right. So I think these concerns, like what do these articles mean? Why doesn't everyone write a letter to CDPHE and their local health department and demand some answers about this COVID check Colorado and these we're, we want to test these schools. What do these articles mean that have come out in the last week? you know, the last 10 days, we want an explanation. Please explain exactly what this means because, and your school district, because we won't stand for this for our children. And we wanna understand what, what this is about and why 
my school district is being totally silent. And, um, you know, I, I want to know. So I think that the more people we have asking, then the more pushback there is, and maybe we can get an answer. And if somebody gets a good answer, I would love for you to share it with us. I would love to hear it. Right, because we can all ask it in a different way and um, to our corresponding districts, and someone's going to let something slip. So we heard a great Freudian slip this week from the White House, you know, where she basically said, people are going to die from this vaccine. Like, what? Um, so we need someone to be, we if we push and we prod and we keep asking these questions because they are being intentionally vague. We know that schools, they'll be vague about their policies until student count day on October 1st. Mm -hmm. And then bam, you know, tyranny. Um, so we need to like be pushing and prodding and asking these questions. And I think the heart of this issue is why are we doing this if X percentage of our school staff has been vaccinated? Aren't, aren't we all safe now? We need somebody to really kind of misstep and say, well, we don't actually trust the vaccine to protect anyone. That's we need some type of statement like that that says, right. oh, okay. Or that, or a slip of the tongue of, well, we have a lot of money invested in this testing. It makes us a lot of money. Well, and you know that under the American Rescue Plan, districts are getting federal money and they have to have a COVID plan in order to get that money. Our district sent out a survey about what should they do with the money that they're getting. So there is a lot of money tied up in this whole thing. And, um, you know, the question is, if 5% of parents pull their kids out of school, is that more money or less money that the school would be getting than if they just said no thank you to these dollars, you know? And the, the price per child went up this year in Colorado. So, um, for well, in my, my college student is telling me from his peers that at Boulder, um, CU that Boulder's taking a hit that, um, because of the measures they implemented, you know, Boulder has a party school reputation and they turned Boulder into, you know, a communist lockdown. And so Boulder's taking a hit with tuition and you know what? That makes me proud that parents are saying, you know, I won't give you my tuition dollars if that's how you plan to treat, you know, my adult child, uh, that they can't even go to the grocery store. Oh yeah. Um, we're not spending our college dollars in Colorado for sure. We're, we're going out of state. I mean, there is no way that we will spend our hard-earned saved money that we've been working, saving since our kids were little and spend it in this state, which is really unfortunate uh, for really for the state because, you know, we have smart kids that have money ready for college and we're not going here. So um, good, glad they're taking a hit. Me too. Yeah. All right, I'm ending on good news. All right, let's hear Not it. around our issue, but it's a little good news. I'll take it. I'll take what okay. I can get. <laughs> okay. I mean, it, it has to do with, you know, keeping your body healthy and, and Ooh, uh, things that I think that we all would like to see. So um, I subscribe to uh, Institute for Responsible Technology and Ooh. they are uh, out of Boulder and they look a lot at GMO food glyphosate, those kinds of things. And they're, they're really a, a great organization for watchdogging GMO products. And the headline that came out this week, and I was just so happy to read something that was nice. It said, Mexico wants to import non-GMO corn and U.S. grain suppliers say they can deliver. Um, and I, I love that. So it, here's the first couple par paragraphs. Um, this was originally published in the organic and non-GMO report. Mexico's GMO corn ban presents an opportunity for U.S. farmers to supply non-GMO corn south of the border. While U.S. agribusiness groups are trying to pressure Mexico into abandoning their announced bans on glyphosate herbicide and imports of genetically modified corn by 2024, the U.S. suppliers of non-GMO seed and grain see an opportunity to supply Mexico with non-GMO corn. Could we supply Mexico? Absolutely, says Bill Niebuhr, president of High Fidelity Genetics, an Iowa-based non-GMO corn seed company. In terms of acres, it's not a problem. 
Instead of criticizing Mexico, let's provide it to them. So I love this free market solution to a big, huge problem. And that is that these farmers are like, hell yeah, we'll give them what they want in Mexico. If our country is gonna like eat all this crap, then we're gonna send our good food down to Mexico. Like we can do it. So I love that. And you know, there's the market working itself out. And um, you know, maybe we're gonna have to import our corn products from Mexico after our suppliers send it down and then we have to get it back up here so that we can have, you know, some non-GMO. Well, how crazy is that, that there's this perception that, you know, don't drink the water in Mexico or, you know, I, I love to vacation in the Caribbean and how ironic that, you know, you have these nations with this, you know, these bad perceptions of their water and food supply that are only serving you non-GMO corn, right? Like right. I've never had a problem eating outside of the U.S. Whereas you, you commonly hear people, especially from Europe, who cannot eat our grain, our GMO grain yeah. causes way too many digestive and allergy problems. So, you know, it's, it's truly a, an exciting time for people to wake up to these issues of, I mean, it's absolutely correlated between GMO grain and all of our Crohn's disease and digestive disorders and allergens. And if, if you can't wrap your head around that, I mean, just look at your neighbor's dog. Every dog I know, you know, when you live in a traditional neighborhood where they spray their own yards with Roundup, which is glyphosate, every dog has a limited lifespan and digestive issues and they're on a special diet with grain-free food. I mean, th that's your canary in the coal mine, the dogs. And, you know, we've seen it in horses as well, that there is definitely a correlation between our our health issues in GMO foods. So uh, I, I can't wait to see the data that health data that comes out of Mexico. Yeah. So isn't that nice to end on some good news? Go Mexico, go American farmers, supply Mexico with non-GMO grains. Use your land for something good. Well, in in go Greece, France, and Ireland this week. I mean, I, I've for a year I've been waiting for someone to burn a couch or something to really get upset <laughs> about what is going on in this dystopian nightmare. And and they delivered this week. I was like, yes, thank you very much. <laughs> Pam, I do know you have a couch burning fantasy. I One you day. know. We did finally throw my couch out at the 4th of July and the trash man was like, wow, some party broke a couch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, when the day comes, we'll find you another couch that you can, you can help. I'll have to burn someone else's couch. I do. You it's need to find a non-GMO, non-toxic, you know, non-fire retardant treated um, couch though. So we'll, I'll yeah. be on the lookout for that for you. We'll get yeah, one from Mexico. I feel like it's therapeutic. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I hope everybody, this didn't end up being the short thing we said it would be, but um, if you're still here listening, come back next week and listen to our interview with the lawyer, which I'm very excited about. Or let's get somebody uh, one of these weeks from uh, Technocracy Rising. That'd be cool. Ooh, that'd be fun. Wow. It'd be Just great if Patrick Wood would come on. He's brilliant. I'll make some calls. All right. That sounds great. All right, Pam. Well, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. Don't answer the door. <laughs> knock, knock. Make sure it's locked. Okay. Lock your door. Lock it up. <laughs>